Okay, so I said last night, on Monday we'll be introducing a quite simple practice that in many ways for some of you will be an organic evolution out of the work we've been doing with the three characteristics and very simple, very non-conceptual in many ways. And as I said, I kind of wish that last night's talk, tonight's talk and tomorrow night's talk that I could kind of stream them, download them (laughs) to you all at once. Uh, Obviously that's not possible. So what I want to talk about tonight is Chandra Kirti's chariot and the unfindable self. (laughs) Sounds like a uh, children's book. (laughs) Um, When we were introducing the anatta practice, and I made a subtle distinction that what we're doing there is that we are (coughs) developing a way of looking at phenomena, looking at (coughs) phenomena and seeing them as not me, not mine. Okay, that's what we're doing. We're looking towards phenomena and seeing them as not me, not mine. And sometimes people use a label for that, but the label... Uh, it's not really a mantra in terms of just repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, focusing on the sound. It's something that helps to uh, nudge or encourage the awareness to shift into a different mode of seeing and different way of relating to phenomena. This practice that I want to talk about tonight is s- subtly different in the sense that we're actually going to be looking for the self. We're actually looking for it. And what we find is we can't find it. We find that the self is unfindable. Or certainly an inherently existing self is unfindable. Now these two practices, if if uh, one takes them on, one, one will find they feed each other. <clears throat> so as one does the anatta practice and gets used to, one's getting very familiar with and less fearful of states of consciousness that have less self in them. The self-sense is less built up, it's much more open and more refined and light. And there's a lot of letting go, and one just gets very familiar with that, and that's like... Uh, money in the bank, it's not really like that. It's just uh, very useful to be familiar with that. Uh, this practice, and I'm going to talk about tonight, also feeds the anatta practice in in a way that it fills out the meaning of that and the depth of the meaning, what it is to say something is not me, not mine, and also the sense of conviction in being able to say that. It fills out the the reasons why we can say say uh, say it something is not me, not mine, and have that sense. <clears throat> so Chandrakirti was a seventh century uh, Dharma m- monk and. Uh, scholar, teacher, yogi, etc. Um, obviously a really remarkable person. I don't know if he came up with this, but he certainly is the person who kind of perfected it. He was the abbot of Nalanda Monastery, and sort of since his time, he's the kind of <coughs> widely acknowledged kind of king of... of it's like you don't, you don't argue with him kind of thing. <laughs> um, so everyone kind of agrees that he said that this is the way it is. So. so tonight, and this is important, I'm going to be offering this. It's 
a little bit involved. In fact, it's a lot involved. Uh, you can learn it as a meditation practice if you want to, but that's optional. Okay, uh, it's, If one does and one develops it, like all these practices, they're to be developed. They don't make much difference if you do them once or twice, da, 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 or all of everything that we're talking about. But that's a possibility, is that one really takes this on as a practice and learns to develop it. Second option, I think I said this last night, is you can just file it for later. Just file it for later. Sounds interesting. I'm not yet, not there. I'm not ready to take it on. I've got too much on my plate. I'll file it for later. Totally valid. Third option, also very valid, is just to listen and let the seeds be planted and let it, um, those seeds, in a way for now, just come in and affect your, the other practices that you're doing. So I hope that as I'm speaking, you can bear in mind some of what I said last night in terms of the relationship and the attitude with teachings and, and all the rest of it. And I hope also that you can um, psychically guess what I'm going to say tomorrow night about that and bear that in mind too. <clears throat> what we're doing with this kind of practice is we're using reasoning, we're using the logical reasoning to refute, to disprove the inherent existence of the self. Okay? That's, that's what we're doing in this practice. And remember, going back to Marika's question I, over a week ago, what does this word inherent existence mean? It means something exists, in this case the self. We're still working with the self for the most part. The self exists in its own right, uh, as if from its own side, independent of the way that the mind conceives or sees of it. Okay, so it exists by itself in an independent way, a self-existent way. Okay, that's what inherent existence means. Okay? Um, in the Prajnaparamita Suttas and the, the sort of first text on emptiness what you find is there is no this there is no that there is no other thing there is that's a little bit shock value you, it's implicit there is no inherently existing this there is no inherently existing da, da, da. Um, but they, they're trying to stimulate something there the first step in this kind of practice is in technical language called ascertaining the object to be negated. Okay, it sounds very technical. And what that basically means is what we're pointing this practice towards is the sense of inherent existence of the self. Okay, so ascertaining the object to be negated means feeling that sense of inherent existence. So when we feel the self sense, almost always, and always for non practitioners, um, we can. Have this sense of it as something that just exists by itself. It's just it's just there, no matter what I do, no matter how I sit. It's there. It's that's what it is, and we want to get a felt sense of that. I sense it. I feel it. I watch it. As uh, Cancer Lecton, one was a great. I think he died in the early seventies. A great, um, also scholar and teacher and tantric uh, teacher. He said, if that sense isn't clear. If that sense of, of kind of the inherent existence, when I feel my I-ness sitting here, when I feel myself sitting here, it feels to be self-existent. If that sense of the inherent existence isn't clear, he said, emptiness meditation is a bit like firing an arrow at a target and having no idea where the target is. It's not. It's very clear what we're aiming this this particular approach at. It's very, it should be very clear. So going back to that 
quote that I put up from Tsongkhapa much earlier in the retreat, it's not just that we're withdrawing the mind from the sense of self and kind of ignoring the sense of self or going into, uh, uh, you know, samadhi or coma or, or whatever. Um, especially not the grosser self-sense, because as I said, there's a spectrum of self-sense, and just to get rid of the big hullabaloo palaver of the self-sense is not going to do the trick in terms of emptiness. And, and understanding emptiness. So all that sounds quite intellectual, the inherent existence of the samadhi. But remember, it's actually not intellectual in the sense of this is this is a totally intuitive sense of self. We don't walk around thinking about our inherent existence. And well, some of us do, but <laughs> non-practitioners don't. Um, it's a totally intuitive, innate sense that we have of ourselves that we the self exists inherently. So we're approaching it through through reasoning, but we're not talking about some abstract intellectual concept at all. We're talking about something totally palpable. And in this in this approach what we're doing is we're questioning and probing into the relationship of the self with the five aggregates which I introduced uh, I think it was on last Monday, I think. And just to review again, the five aggregates, the body, the Vedana, meaning the feeling tone of experience, perceptions, <coughs> um, mental formations, meaning intentions, um, mind states, thoughts, moods, uh, all of that, and consciousnesses, meaning knowing, knowing this, knowing that, knowing. So what's the relationship of the self with that, uh, the, that those five aggregates. What's the relationship? We're, we're going to go into that. So again, we don't... How to put this? We don't naturally intellectualize or conceive about the relationship between the self and the aggregates. We don't walk around with theories about that, as most of us as human beings don't do that. But again, there's this innate way of conceiving um, that... Of, of an inherent self, and it's more what's what we're approaching in this practice saying, okay, I don't naturally conceive, say, the self to be the same as the aggregates, or the self to be different from the aggregates. But if, if the self existed inherently, it would have to be either the same or different than the aggregates. And that's what it hinges on. It's not that I'm walking around with a theory that it's the same or different, but if it existed inherently, it would have to be either the same or the different or different. Now, me saying that, yeah, I'm saying it on some. I'm not sure if that's convincing yet. It, for me, it's also not. So, what I'm going to do is exp- that's the sort of basic argument. I'm going to expand that where Chandrakirti's chariot comes in. He goes through actually, if the self existed inherently, it would have to exist in one of seven ways. And I'll fill it out in more detail, because for most people, probably that, what I just said about it would have to be the same or different, mm, won't quite do it. And if we're not convinced, none of this is really going to make any difference. But what we're doing then is refuting, disproving the fact that it can exist in any of um, these seven ways, and that refutes the inherent existence. Okay. 
And this seven ways gives much more of a sense of thoroughness in looking for the self and much more chance, I I find in practice, of being really convinced that you can't find the self because you looked every possible place it could be. Every possible place it would have to exist in one of those ways. So Chandrakirti uses this example of a chariot. I mean, in modern, in modern days, we'd obviously use a car or um, uh, you know, a bicycle or something. But he uses a chariot, and um, it's, it's nice. Everyone know what a chariot is? Yeah? Chariot? It's like a fancy cart where someone can stand in the back and get pulled by a horse. So it's got wheels and a place where you can stand, and it's got to have an axle and reins and, you know, da-da-da. So, he's saying, if, the ch- in this case, the chariot, or the self, inherently existed, it would have to exist in one of these, one of these seven ways. And I'll, I'll run them through now, and then in, in a few minutes I'm going to go into each one in detail. It would have to be either uh, the same as its parts. Okay, so you look at, look at a chariot, and it's got, or a car, and it's got a wheel, and a steering wheel, and... and wheels and doors and a bonnet and windscreen and windscreen wipers and da, da, da. it's got all those parts it would have to either be the same as the parts or or one of the parts or some of the parts that's number one or it would have to be different than the parts it would have to be other than the parts okay or number three it would have to be findable in the parts. There's something in the parts that is the car. In the, in, the, in the way we have the sense of something in the aggregates is the self. The self is in the aggregates. That's number three. Or number four, the aggregates or the parts of the chariot, the car, would have to be in the self. In, in other words, we have a sense of the self being something that kind of contains all this. Okay, that's number four. Number five is the relationship of possession that the, the, the car possesses its parts, or the chariot possesses it, or the self possesses its aggregates. So I possess my body, I possess my thoughts, they are mine. Okay. Number six is saying that the chariot car self is the collection of its parts. Okay, you say, well, it's not all that. Okay, good, okay. But it's all of them together. Hmm? All of them together. How is that different from number one? Uh, number one can be individual ones. Oh, as, as all or some of its parts? At all, or, uh, some, some or individual or some, and then number six is all. So this sevenfold reasoning is actually the expanded version of what I said before. It's either the same or it's different. The last one was again the chariot? I haven't got to the last one yet. No, the the, the, the sixth one was the collection. Is the collection. The, the, the same. The chariot is the collection of its parts, yeah. okay? Or the self is the collection of the aggregates. Mm. And what's interesting, well, I'll say the seventh one first. Uh, the seventh one is, it's the, the chariot, you say, okay, it's not the collection, it's the shape of the parts, okay? So you say, ah, the car is the shape. How's that? <laughs> okay. Uh, similarly, you say the self is the shape of the aggregates, or I'll, I'll add something, or the continuum. What's interesting is, in the spectra of Buddhist teachings, we we talk about, as I said, yes, levels of understanding of emptiness, and some of some what they call lower tenet systems actually believe some of these to be the actual nature of the self. So what Chandrakirti is coming is saying, none of it, none of it, none of it. So it's it's a really 
quite radical and powerful uh, way he's coming in there. So, the chariot, the car, the self has to exist in one of those seven ways. There's no other way that it can exist. Now, I'm saying that now. If you're taking this on as a practice, you have to really go away and become convinced of that. You have to really grapple with this. Okay? You grapple with it intellectually, you grapple with it in your mind. That's the second step, and it's called, in technical language, it's called ascertaining the pervasion. Meaning the pervasion, you don't, you don't have to remember that, but uh, ascertaining, meaning the pervasion of the totality of options and the implications. And the, what's really important is the conviction that we really need to be convinced, absolutely convinced. And that, that takes time. Or for most people it will take time. And then we're in investigating and looking uh, in these seven ways and f- seeing that we can't actually find the car, the chariot, the self in any of those seven ways. Now I'm going to run through briefly what happens if you're going to take this on as a practitioner and you develop it, the key word being developing, it's really a practice, it's a very, very powerful practice if you want to take it on and if you find it helpful and if you develop it. I think about this, I think about it, think about it, I become convinced and then I kind of have a, a way that with a little bit of samadhi I bring in the reasoning into my practice. So I start thinking about it in a light way without disturbing the samadhi too much in the practice and I think about it in relation to my car or in relation to myself, or actually in relation to anything else. And I see that I can't find the self. I have this feeling of not finding the self. But all the time, I'm starting by holding the sense of inherent existence of the self, and I'm I'm connecting with that sense of inherent existence, and I'm holding it there, and I'm looking at the sense of the thing, or the self, at the time that I'm doing the reasoning. And what happens is, one finds that one can't find it, and the sense of the thing, the sense of the self, the perception of the self begins to fade and get replaced with a sense of vacuity, emptiness, uh, non-thing. Okay? This is a meditation experience I'm talking about. <coughs> if one's, again, d- developing this, what one then does is, is steadily focuses on that emptiness, that, that kind of vacuity that appears, and kind of concentrates on that. But it has to have a meaning to it. In other words, it's not just a kind of blank nothingness. It actually means there is no inherent existence to this thing. It means I can't find this thing inherently existing. So it's not a nothingness. It's not taken to mean that nothing exists, a kind of nihilism. It's also not a kind of agnosticism in the sense of, oh well, we can never really know how things exist anyway. Oh well, you know, it's not that kind of agnosticism either. So it's very, it has, it's pregnant that sense of emptiness with a very specific meaning, which is, I can't find this thing as inherently existing. It does, it lacks inherent existence. So it's, it actually has a kind of tone, a feeling to it. And I'm just outlining what, what, the, how this develops as a practice before I go into the reasonings. So what you get is, you're looking at the the sense of the self, or the sense of this object, a car, or whatever it is that you're looking at, and then you you develop it, you're you're staring at it, you're doing the reasonings, and the thing begins to fade, begins to fade. But not only that, as it fades more and more, the sense of the mind being over here, the awareness being over here, and the sort of 
the vacuity or emptiness being over there begins to they begin to kind of melt into each other. Okay, and this is a gradual process, not like an on-off switch. It's a gradual process. They begin to melt into each other. Uh, there's a fading of the object and a kind of f- f- fading and f- fading of that sense of separation, a kind of fusing. Okay, as as one de- develops this, um, but pregnant in that fading and fusing is this sense of what it means, what that emptiness means. Um, so there's awareness there, and awareness of what it means. Uh, but it's not, it gets, the meaning of it is, is more and more implied, it's not conceptual, it's just kind of there, it's not particularly verbal, like, aha, I realize this thing, da da da, it's, it's, um, it's, it's implicit. Eventually, in, in, in the spectrum of fading, what happens is, uh, to borrow a phrase from the Tibetans, the mind and the emptiness mix like water in water. There's a total kind of uh, fusion of the mind in dissolving of the mind in emptiness of subject and object, and that's called a direct cognition of of emptiness. Okay, and that's just briefly running running through. I'll, I'll return to the process a little bit at the end, but I want to go into th- this reasoning, the sevenfold reasoning, in a bit of detail. So, first one. Now, we can divide the human being up into five aggregates. We could also divide it up into two. We could say body and mind. Okay, body and mind. You could say a person is somehow within or has that relationship with body-mind. Let's look at that first. If the body was the self, if the body was the self, so we're looking at sameness, sameness now with some of the elements. If the body was the self, that would mean the self is is not conscious. Okay, so it's not, it doesn't really fit. And we couldn't really say, it wouldn't really make sense then as we do to say like, I am thinking, because the body's outside of that. If the mind were the self, the other, we're splitting self into two now, body and mind. If the mind were the self, you couldn't say like, I ache all over. You couldn't say that. Uh, you couldn't say, I kicked the ball. Um, or you couldn't say, he hit me. You know, because these are bodily, bodily things. Now, so as I said, you can split the self up into two, body and mind. You can split it up into five, five aggregates. You split it up into smaller parts. But no matter how many you split it up into, when you look at each one, you cannot find the self there. So, for example, let's split, let's split everything up into really small pieces. And I look at my liver. Is that myself? My kidneys? You mean the whole self. It's part of the self, isn't it? I mean, is it equivalent? So you're looking for a sameness in in one of these parts or some of these parts with the self. Okay. Um, You could look at different body parts. You could go into the cells. So I go into a cell. Is that cell me? Okay. Is the atom in the cell me? So clearly, none of none of these are cells. The same as we take the car and we take the steering wheel. Is that the car? Is, is Are the wheels the car? Are the windscreen wipers the car? Is the doors the car? None of these are really car. Okay. Um, with the self, again, we take Vedana. Is that me, this sense of experiencing pleasant, unpleasant? Is my perceptions me? I have a moment of perceiving the bell, a moment of perceiving sound. Is that me? Um, is my Are my intentions me, or any one intention? You look, stare at each one of these. Is that is that me? Is that the self? Is a thought me? Is a mood? Okay. 
or a consciousness, a knowing of this, a knowing of that, an awareness of this and that. When we look at each one individually, we'll see that it can't be. There's nothing personal in any of those, in any of those at all. You've seen a thought blips into the mind. Is it me? There's nothing personal there. Certainly if I look at my, you know, a cell in the lining of my lung, (laughs) one cell, where's Rob in that? There's nothing personal there. There's nothing also, when I split the self, what could possibly be the self, and I look at each one individually, there's nothing there that I can find that's lasting. We've touched on this before. And that's really important. There's nothing that can be seen as me, can be seen as personal, nothing that is lasting. Okay? So I might look at just my mind states, for instance, be looking for the self in my mind states. Which mind state is me? I go through so many during a day. Does that mean there are many selves? Or does it mean that all mind states are somehow one, because the sense of the self is one, is, one, is, in, is unitary? So when, when if, again, if you're taking this on as a practice, it's important to look at each part very clearly and really see there's definitely not me there, there's definitely not self there. So like if you take the car door off the car and you look at it, is that the car? No, it's clearly not the car. Take the steering wheel off, it's clearly not the car. If you kind of very clear that each part is not the self, later when you come to the sixth one, um, you can't really accept the collection, because how could a collection of stuff that doesn't make a thing suddenly make the thing? But we'll come back anyway to the collection. So you can do this with other people too. You find yourself angry at someone. Something's happened between you and another person. They've said something or they did something that upset you. Who am I angry with exactly? This is really, really useful meditation when you're feeling angry. Who exactly am I angry with? Am I angry at their index finger? Am I angry at their nail on their uh, ring finger? Am I angry at their spleen? Their pancreas? Am I angry at their Vedana? You know, those individual moments of feeling like this is pleasant or unpleasant. Am I angry at their perception? Perceptions. This perception or that perception. Am I angry at um, their, their consciousnesses, their knowings? <laughs> you can be angry at their decisions. Okay, I'm coming to it. I'm coming to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to it. So this is good, this is good. I'm coming to it. So I, I switched the order around. So can be ang- angry at the consciousnesses. Uh, can I be angry at the, the, the fact of their knowing? Then, as Hannah points out, huh, well, what about... And this, this again... If you actually are not too bothered by the intellectuality of this, as I talked last night and I will talk tomorrow, and if, if you're... Da, 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 you'll be bothered in another way by all this. The mind will naturally throw up objections. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, what's more likely that you'll be angry with is their thoughts, their intentions to do or say something, or perhaps maybe their mood out of which it came. But again, if you stare long enough at those things, you will not see the self of that person there. Because look at it, an intention to say something. Look at that clearly enough. Where did that come from? And as we talked earlier in the retreat, either you have a sense of it coming out of nothing, or you have a sense of it coming out of the web of conditions. All of these things that you could possibly look at are dependent arisings, dependent on inner and outer conditions, past and present. And an intention to say something horrible, you can't actually find it there. 
remember what I said it was actually before you arrived, Hannah. In the that sometimes you've heard me say, pick up the language yourself. If someone says something you're upset, talk to them in self terms. But sometimes you can't, and then you need to let go of their self as a way of diffusing the anger. That's number one. Number two, you say, all right. The self exists as something other than the aggregates, or the, the car exists as something other than the parts. Okay, it's somewhere it's not in the parts. But that would mean that would imply that the the, the car could or, or the self could be apprehended, could be perceived separately from the aggregates, separately from the parts. In other words, I take away all the parts of the car, and somehow I'll be left with the real car after that. So I take away all the doors, I take away all the wheels, I take away all the hubcaps, I take away all the engine, I take away da 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 and left is the essence of car. Left is absolutely nothing at all if I take away all the parts. Same deal with the self. In, in the meditation, one actually mentally clears away the aggregates, clears away all the instances possible of, of the aggregates, and then is the self perceivable, apprehendable without them? No way. It's not found. It's not cannot be found. So the intuitive sense of self, the, the feeling of self, it appears to have its own kind of basis, kind of as if it's sometimes it feels like separate from the aggregates. Like it just feels like it's just by itself. But it cannot be found outside the aggregates. It cannot be found. And we could never perceive such a self. We could never perceive it, because it would be beyond perception, one of the aggregates. We can only, as consciousnesses, we can only perceive, see, and know the aggregates. They're the totality of our experience. So such a self would be completely unknowable. It would also, in itself, be a complete kind of blank, sort of non-entity of nothingness. It'd be completely blank, completely pointless, and completely useless, <laughs> such a self. Complete. The kind of self that we care about and suffer over and struggle with and are invested in is, is one that we know and can know. Okay? So that's the kind of self that we're actually, it needs to be. Also, if the self was something separate, you'd have to ask, well, what exactly is the relationship? If it's something other than the aggregates, what exactly is the relationship between the aggregates and the self? It becomes a, almost like a total mystery. What is that relationship? So we said that, that kind of self would be unknowable. But it also kind of means that the, the journey, the manifestation, the fate, or what happens to the aggregates of body and mind and senses, what happens in the realm of the senses, what happens in terms of memories, all that is kind of irrelevant to the fate of the self. Like what happens to the aggregates is somehow independent of what happens to me. You understand? Um, clearly that's a kind of ridiculous situation. We don't, you know. Okay. So a person, again, sometimes has this intuitive feeling or says intellectually, all right, next step, like a chess game, next step. The self is in the aggregates. Somehow in this, like a little homunculus or a little being somewhere, the self is in there. Or, we'll take the third and the fourth together, or somehow the aggregates are in the self. Somehow the carness is in the car somewhere, uh, or the, the parts of the car are somehow in the car. 
Okay. Now we we have this intuitive sense with things, but if you think a little bit about those two, they're actually kind of instances of the second of the self being something other than. Okay. It's a bit like, for example, if we say that the self is in the aggregate, it's like a person in a house, say, the house being the aggregate and the self being the person. Now, the house could fall down, we could demolish the house, and the person could still be there. So it's an instance of them being separatable and apprehendable separately. Do you see that? Mm Um, if we say the aggregates are kind of like the house, they're housing a self, okay? The aggregates are this, and somehow in that this is where the self is. Well, if we had a person in a house, or a thing in a house, we could demolish the house brick by brick, take away all the house, and the person's still there, okay? So again, it's, it's a, these are special conditions of the second case, which is that we can actually separate, we can take away all the parts and still have the self, all the parts and still have the car, but we can't. The fourth one um, is an example for that would be like uh, if you have muesli for breakfast and you've got muesli and you've got milk in a bowl, the um, self is kind of the container of the aggregates. And again, we have this, we have this intuitive sense some, sometimes. This, we're somehow containing all this. Or again, we take it as an intellectual position. Um, but again, you could take away one and, and separate them. You can separate the bowl from the muesli and, and the porridge and the milk or whatever. So they're separated, which goes back to the second reasoning. I didn't get okay, it's similar to the house one, it's just the other way around. So if I say the aggregates are in the self, um, it's, it's a special condition of, it means I can somehow, like muesli in a bowl, I can separate the muesli in the bowl. I can pour out the muesli, put the bowl over here and put the muesli over there. But I can't do that with the self and the aggregates. If I put the aggregates over there, I can't then look at another self over here. So they're not separate. Okay. Doing okay? Yeah. Fifth one. This is a very... They start to get a little bit more interesting... We say, okay, the self is the possessor of the aggregates, or the car somehow possesses its parts. But actually, again, for the most part, this implies a kind of difference. So I possess this pair of jeans, in the sense I, you know, when I go to bed tonight, I'm going to take them off, you know, and I have my jeans draped over the chair, and I'll be in bed, uh, separate, okay? Or I own uh, my mobile phone. You know, I possess my mobile phone, I can lose it, I can leave it over there, and I'll still be here. So the notion of possession, Im- again, implies this ability to separate and put them in different places. Yeah. Is it just, then, in the meditation, just a case of kind of working this through in your head and seeing that you can't separate? Like, yes, just, yes. Yeah, and it might be, again, go back to what I said at the beginning of the talk. Some of you, this is going to be landing in very different places, I'm aware of that. Um, some of you not going to like this at all, going to, when is this talk going to be over, when is he going to shut up? Uh, some of you might be completely intrigued, uh, some of you will take it on as a practice, some of you will completely ignore it, for others it will just plant seeds. Okay, And that's just, you know, just how it is and it's okay. Um, 
Please bear in mind what I said last night, and tomorrow I'll talk a little bit more about our relationship, partly tomorrow, about our relationship with conceptuality is one of the things about tomorrow night. But, um, but yeah, if one was to take this on uh, to some degree, it would be both thinking through it, even outside the meditation, and also in the meditation, just playing with it. Can I actually take this, l- looking at things, and actually separating them and saying, well, actually, I can't. I can't do that. So playing with it in the meditation with some degree of calmness and samadhi. So for people who want to take this on, this is very, very powerful, potentially, but not everyone's going to want to do it. I'm totally aware of that. And if you're from an insight meditation or Zen background, which most people in here are, um, this is going to sound completely alien as a way of going about meditation, completely like, you know, very, very strange uh, sort of way of doing meditation. I'm, I'm aware of that. Um, if you're from a Galug background, it probably sounds quite familiar, and you've pr- maybe even have heard it all before. I find it hard to sort of um, keep up with, because the, the objects that you're using, say, you know... Car or then, self. Yeah. Yeah, okay. If you're just using... So I'd like to use it, but I don't think I can keep making sense of it and writing it down. I was wondering, is there any way it could be written down somehow for us to look at? I'll try and and write it down in a very, very short form. And from now on, I'd just use the self, okay? To simplify it. Thanks. (laughs) And this is difficult, you know, this is not an easy, you know, it's not easy stuff. I'm not... not, um, You don't have to do that, you can use the objects. If I can reference it afterwards, it will help Okay. Okay. Um, so, mostly possession implies a difference. It implies a difference. Okay. Um, or we can say, well, the tree possesses its trunk. Sorry, different object. Faith. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, the tree possesses its trunk. Um, and there's a kind of sameness implied in the possession. So where, or you say, this house has 11 rooms. And let's take that example. The house has 11 rooms. What house is there that could possess the 11 rooms? All there is to this house that I'm looking at is just 11 rooms. If I take away the 11 rooms, how is there a house that possesses 11 rooms? So the word, in that instance, possession actually comes to kind of be equated with being. This one of possession is very, very interesting. Mostly it will fall down because of it being a difference. And again, it's a, it's a special condition of number two, of the, the separatability of self and aggregates. But let's take with the self. There's a little bit involved now. Let's take, for example, the self, and we have a sense of, which we do sometimes, this self, I possess my perce- perceptions. I perceive a lamp, I perceive a carpet, I perceive a sound, I perceive this, that. And we have a sense, like, there's a self somehow here that possesses these things. They are mine. Okay? Okay. Now, either, if the self possesses the perceptions, it either means the self doesn't perceive, because, again, they're separate. If I possess something, like my mobile phone, I have to be findable separate. So that means that the self is uh, different, and, again... If the self doesn't perceive, it means it's some kind of mindless blank. Is, is that who I am? Maybe you think that's <laughs> uh, is that. Is that who the self is? A mindless blank. Okay. Or we could say, all right, it's not quite that. And again, you can really play with this in meditation. It can go very, very deep if you can find a way of working with it. Or we can say, the self is, maybe the self perceives the perception. 
And then we're getting to tricky territory because then there's two perceptions. And say, well, okay, maybe the self possesses both. <laughs> uh, or you could say, maybe the self is um, the same as the second perception. That's what the self is. It's the second perception that perceives the others. But then, every time I perceive something different, I'm going to have, again, many selves. I perceive this, I perceive that. And you'll have a self that's actually many and not one. Or you say, okay, that second perception that perceives the initial perception is different. It's different. Or uh, is different than the second perception. And again, you get into this thing of, okay, well then the self doesn't perceive. And you get an infinite regress. Okay. Are the perceiver, the perceiving, and the perception the same or different? perceiver, I am perceiving, the process of perceiving, and the perception, what I'm, per- that, that actually, this is a bell, this is a sound, this is a, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, the, are they, those three, the same? They can't be the same, because every time I look at the bell, it would mean I'm a bell. If I look at an elephant, I would be an elephant. If I look at, um, you know, whatever, a, a vegetable, I become a vegetable. Are they separate? They can't be separate, because then you could actually find one without another. You could find a perceiver without a thing being perceived, or a process of perception. You could find a process of perception without a perceiver and a thing perceived, or you could find a thing perceived without a perceiver and a process of perception. No? Well, you could, if they were separate. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So good, good. That's what I'm saying. They're actually not separatable. So there's something. They're not the same, but they're not separatable. This particular strand right there goes very, very deep. If one can get get the the mind around that in meditation, very, very uh, powerful. What we see, perceiver, perceiving, and perception, they are unfindable unfindable. Uh, There's nothing separate here. The sense of the mind perceiving and the world. Nothing separate. No separate self perceiving a separate world. We're going to return to that later in the retreat because that's actually something very um, powerful to work with. We take the sixth one. And you say, okay, 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 it's the collection. My car, my chariot, my self is the collection of the car parts. In the case of the car, that would be equivalent to taking all the car parts, you know, the wheels, the this, that, the bonnet, the doors, etc., and dumping them all on the ground and saying, that's the car. Obviously, it's not the car. It's just a bunch of parts kind of piled up together. Uh, We could do that with the body. I take my foot, I take my hand, I take my nails, I take my hair, I separate them all and I dump them. Is that the body? Just a a pile of body parts? It can't just be the collection. And then that's where we go to to the last one, the shape. I say it's the shape. Um, There are many reasons why it can't be the shape, but just to throw out one, which a little bit will come back to, and I've already mentioned it. Imagine... 
imagine the body shape changing. So imagine my nose slowly moving round to the side and my ears slowly coming round to meet at the top of my head and fuse into one. And, I don't know, my mouth coming down here and my legs sticking out of my head up here. Uh, slowly morphing towards that. At what point would you say that's, that's, that's not... <laughs> that ain't it anymore. At what point? Now, the, the key thing that helps in there is this at what point. At what point? Because when you see that the, the mind is imputing something in the sense of it's arbitrary when the mind decides it is this or it isn't this. Okay, that's where this playing with the, the movement helps. Arbitrary means um, there's no, uh, you can't say at exactly this point when my ear reaches this point, beyond this point you will say it's no longer a body. So it's, it's um, dependent on your point of view at any time. You know? Anyhow, in terms of a self, the mind is not the shape. Okay? The mind has no shape. You can't give it a, a shape in space. But... Uh, where we, where a person will go with this is saying it's the continuum, the shape in time. To say the self is, the true nature of the self, and again you hear this in some Buddhist teachings even, the true nature of the self is the continuum of aggregates in time. So moment to moment, this stream of arising of the aggregates in time. And this one is very interesting. Um, if I say that, I say, well, Okay, but the past has gone and the future has not yet arisen. So I'm saying it's this continuum. Most of the continuum doesn't even exist in a conventional sense right now. Where is it? It's just the present. There is no kind of mass of aggregates, of mental aggregates, for example, that you can kind of pile up there as a continuum. If I take that further and I say, okay, it's just the present moment, how... How long does the present moment last? Anybody? No? <laughs> how, how long is the present moment? Short. <laughs> I would say so. It's pretty short. It's actually an infinitely small sliver. It's an infinitely small sliver. Um, it barely exists. The present moment barely exists. We're going to go back into this uh, later in the retreat, the emptiness of time and the emptiness of the present moment uh, later in the retreat. But just this notion of the present barely existing, it's so, as Justin poetically put it, short. Um, it's so <laughs> such a practically non-existent sliver, paper-thin, paper-thin. Paper um, this helps also when you're contemplating. You can do all this with, say, an emotion. So, say, sadness. You can actually do all this, intellectual as it sounds, with, with sadness, or with anger, or with fear. It's not there, and even the, the present moment is barely there. What's more, if the self... Uh, was this continuum, you would actually have a self which changed in time because you're always kind of adding to it in time. You're adding different things in time. But the notion of the self is something unitary, and inherent existence means it is what it is. But we could go further with that and say, okay, it's the continuum. Does that mean, this is the continuum, does that mean I need to add certain experiences in a certain order 
in order for it to be me? Is it still me if I do perceiving two sounds, a sniff and a finger, finger clip and a sniff? Am I still me if I perceive this before this as the same as if I go before that? Do you understand? A continuum implies an ordering of the continuum. But who would say the self depends on something so so trivial? So, do you get that? I didn't, I didn't get where we, we were on shape. No, we've moved on to the last... Uh, so, sorry, yes. So, shape, um, when we talk about the human being and the mind, the mind has no shape. Right. So what a person might... Um, Place in place of that is the shape in time, which would be the sense of the ordering in time of the aggregates arising, the, the continuum in time. Okay, so that's uh, what I'm taking to mean shape. What happens if you contemplate a friend and contemplate leaving some of their in, or taking some of their mind moments away from them? Here's your friend, and you take away a few of their mind moments. Are they still them? Just take away a little <coughs> instance of them hearing a twig snap or something. Is it still the friend? What if I take away more? Is it still them? If I take away all their mind moments, they're obviously not them because there's nothing there. There's no, there's no sense of their mind at all. But again, somewhere on that spectrum, you get the sense of the mind is imputing it. So you can play these little games. It's actually fun to play. It's like it's how many do I have to take away, and it's still it's still them. We're almost through. Okay. <laughs> so, how many can I leave out of someone's mental continuum and still have a sense of it being their self? A few, a lot, all of them. Again, the self is imputed on the basis of the aggregates. So, if I say the self is the continuum of the aggregates, and the aggregates are the totality of experience, that's what this, another way of looking at what aggregates are, the, the totality of our experience, it then implies that the self is not dependent... Uh, sorry, is if the aggregate's the totality of experience, and the self I'm saying is the continuum, it means that this self is not independent of experience. If aggregates are experience, experience, experience. That means that the self is, we have a sense of a self being independent of experience. Again, this is the intuitive sense of self. I am independent of my experience. Um, but if the aggregates, we're saying the self is a continuum of aggregates, and the aggregates are the totality of experience, it means that the sense of self is not independent of experience. And therefore the self is inherently existing as something independent is, is not there. The felt sense of self, my felt sense is, I'm the same me two seconds ago as I am now. Same me. Two months from now, I will be the same me. We have a sense of the self existing as independent of experience. But if the self is the continuum, it means that the I, the self, depends on the experiences in the past, the present, and the future. 
And that's not the felt sense. We only do that with what we take to be really significant experience. Oh, I had this really profound experience, or this really healing experience, or this really traumatic experience, whatever. We take those as being significant in terms of who we are. But what about all the insignificant ones? So the, pre- the present moment is actually inseparable from the object of consciousness, from the experience. This is something we're going to return to, because it's, it's a kind of... Uh, it ends up being one of the deepest hinge pins for the understanding of emptiness. The present moment is inseparable from the object of experience, from the perception that I'm perceiving in that moment. And so the self, then, cannot be separate or findable separately from the world. We have a sense of a self being separatable from our experience, separatable from the, the sense of the world or the world of experience. And actually, you can't find it separate from that, because that's what the aggregates are. They're the world of experience. Okay. So one goes through all these seven, and you can't find it. You can't find it. That unfindability doesn't mean that the self doesn't exist. It means that it doesn't inherently exist. That's a, that's a big but really important difference. If one's taking this up as a meditation, as I said earlier, you, you focus on that um, void, that voidness, that emptiness that comes up there. Keeping the meaning alive of its unfindability and of its lack of inherent existence. And if, if one gets a little bit practice, or quite a lot practice at this, you can actually then, at the end of the session, let the self-sense come back. You just loosen, you let go of that sense, it comes back, but at that point it's coming back with a sense of kind of, a sense of its emptiness, it's qualified by emptiness. So it appears, again, but you feel that it's empty. Uh, Really, really useful. So when it disappears, you want to keep that disappearance, that vacuity, that voidness, that emptiness, meaning, uh, um, keep remembering its meaning. Okay. Mm. When, in, in a very deep state, when it totally fuses, like, as I said, water into water, that, that meaning is implicit there. It's implicit. It's not like you're thinking anything at all. There's even a subject object. It's implicit in there. So, I've no idea how many of you will... will uh, get on with this, or even uh, it will appeal to now or later. But when, if one does it, it's not that you would race through this. In other words, oh yeah, it's not that's not that. Blah, 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 right, right, done. <sighs> uh, <laughs> next, it's actually that one wants to be quite thorough and and really take your time, really really convincing yourself, and let them me- let it really mean something to you, and let the whole sense of the whole thing really impress itself upon you. Um, at times, the sense of emptiness gets lost, or the sense of lack of inherent existence gets lost, you slip a bit, and then you can just re-rev re, re up the reasonings a little bit, and it comes back. So in this kind of practice, it's not that we're searching for emptiness. You're not looking for this experience of emptiness. That's actually important. Or you're not looking for something called emptiness. What you're actually looking for is the inherent existence of the self. You're looking to find the self, which is a different a different orientation of, of the self or the thing or the car or the feeling or whatever it is. 
So cerebral as all that sounds, we want if you're going to do it, 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 you have to actually feel it. You feel, as I said at the beginning, the first step. You feel the sense of inherent existence of the self. You feel that, and you feel the sense of not being able to find it. You feel the sort of emptiness. It has a an impression on the heart. It's also, as again, just to throw out for practice, it's. Um, at first, one kind of does a bit of samadhi, then does a bit of kind of reasoning and analysis, and then to samadhi and reasoning and analysis. Eventually, what happens is the reasoning itself brings a kind of samadhi. The mind just goes like that and, and really settles down in, into the kind of. Um, the reasoning brings this sense of emptiness, and the mind kind of really settles with that. And as I said, you can do this not just with the self or with your car or with uh, external objects. You can do it with anger, with sadness, with fear, with... Again, is the fear the same? Is it, is it findable in you know the butterflies in the tummy, in the thought, in the sense of the mind shrinking? Is it findable separate from that? You go through all the same things. Is the fear something that possesses that? It can have a very uh, powerful impact. Okay, that's it. I know uh, for some people, not your, not your cup of tea. As I said at the beginning, leave it, leave it. Right to go back to the opening talk, too many practices on this retreat. Uh, different people will be uh, drawn to and find different ones helpful. And uh, if you want to explore this alongside what you've been doing already, great. If you explore this and you find, actually, it's more powerful than anything else, great. If you want to ignore it, great. If you want to file it for later, great. So it's it's all good. It's all good. And I, I'm certainly not bothered at all. Um, and if you hated it, it was just an hour out of your life. And, <laughs> and it's all over now. And, and you can breathe again. Rob, I want to ask, is, is it good to kind of start with something like a car or... Ah, good question. Yeah. Um, usually they do, I think, uh, in the Tibetan tradition. But you have to... If if you have um, quite a lot of samadhi, and this kind of cushioning that I was talking about when I talked about samadhi and in the opening talk about just cushioning the whole practice in terms of metta and a sense of well-being, if that's around, and if you have a little bit of sense of... Uh, the self-sense getting quieter and more refined and more light through the other practices, then I would say go right into it. So starting with, let's say, a chariot or a car, or you know, uh, that's more when those other things aren't there and it would be too shaky to do that. Um, so sometimes it can be helpful for people to practice on that, but I would say probably for everyone in here can go, if you want to, go straight ahead with this because you've got enough uh, foundation for it, absolutely. Yeah, that's important, thank you. What's the monk's name that owns the chariot rope again? Chandrakirti. C H A N D R A K I R T I. Seventh century Indian monk. Um, very, very smart guy, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Because I'm Well, um, this is a, it's a. Remember, it's a practice. So. I think John has said to you already, there's different traditions with it. I'll talk about this tomorrow night. I'll get into it more tomorrow night. But if this remains 
just a kind of intellectual curiosity, kind of playing with ideas. Forget about it. You know, it's just it's pointless. What a, what a waste of time. Um, but as a potential meditation practice, if you develop it, it's very, very powerful. Um, and that's always how he meant it. And as I think I said in the opening talk, he, when he offered this as part of one of his treatises, um, Supplement to Middle Way, uh, he begins that whole treatise, which is quite lengthy, he begins it by saying, that, you know, this is about compassion. It's, as I said in the opening talk, it's for compassion, it's from compassion. It's all about freeing beings. It's not, it's not intellectual games. Do, are there people in the tradition who get into it in, in a way that has no impact? It's just kind of mind games? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I trust that no one here will do that. Uh, uh, my, my sense is that's not what, what will go on for people <coughs> at all. It's all recorded too, so we can... It, that's what I was going to say. It's all recorded, um, and hopefully... And, um, <laughs> uh, it's all recorded. So a lot of you will be thinking, this sounds really... In- I, I don't know what, you know what some of you will be thinking. Um, it pro- probably you'll fall into different camps with this, and I'm, I'm well aware of that. Some of you will be thinking... I want to come back to this, but I can't. I can't take it on right now, uh, and that's totally, totally valid. You know, it was many years before I took this particular practice on, um, a, and it has been recorded. And you can also find uh, find uh, uh, literature on, on uh, taking you through this stuff. So I went in quite a lot of detail tonight. Mostly, when you find the literature on it, it doesn't go into so much detail. And if you were taking it on as a practice, you would probably go into more detail. You'd have to convince yourself of stuff I didn't really get to tonight and really grapple with it and make it really convincing and very alive. And then it's like when you practice, you're kind of plugging something in that has a super charge to it. It's like it can it can really burrow through the, the seeming reality of things, uh, of the self, of, of all things, really. Um, but you need to kind of charge it up with making it mean something for you. Really good tool. It's a very good tool for some people, and other people might try it and not get on with it at all. It might take, you know, working with the teacher a little bit to refine it. it, it it's going to be very variable, just like all the practices we've thrown out so far. Some people will gravitate towards some and some towards others. Yeah. Do, do you think that we shouldn't really bother doing it unless we're going to give it a good going? Like, give, and, and how much time? I'm just kind of wondering with all the different practices. Yeah. Like, um, it's up to you. I mean, you might if you feel really attracted to this I would go for it um, or as I said at the beginning of this talk you could also use it just a little bit reflecting on the, the reasonings as a way to shore up the anatta practice and fill out the kind of certainty with which you can look at something and say not me not mine you know, you could, so you could also do it that way and postpone this as a sort of major practice in itself for later so as I said at the beginning there's lots of ways of using what I went into tonight and many of you, it will be just filling out the other practices. Because I suppose it could be a practice that you actually do like for a whole year or something. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really focus on it for, you know, people who are here a long, long time, you know, go into it for a month or something, or have it as an ongoing part of your practice for a longer time. Yeah, yeah. When you get good at it, it's something that you can do quite quickly. 
So it's not like you spend, you know, an hour going through all the reasonings. It's like you've, you've figured out, you've got that conviction, you just... And, and in a matter of seconds, sometimes, you can just file right down to that emptiness and then stay with that emptiness. And then you just shore it up a little bit from time to time. But that to get to that place will take probably a while for, for a lot of people, you know. So as I said, on Monday I'm going to be introducing a very non-conceptual practice, a very simple practice that's going to feel like it comes more organically out of what we've done so far. So that will be available too. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.